On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, we ask a question that everybody has an opinion on, and everyone's opinion is wrong, in our opinion. Dustin and Ben get emboldened by the fact that we made it three seasons without getting canceled. And to start season four, repeat after me, God is good, I am not God. It's episode 64, turn it up! <laughs> Are you serious right now? <laughs> did you see the button light up? I did see You're the looking button. right at... This is a joke, dude. 64 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm muting you while you mock me. That's what's going to happen. Jeez, dude. <laughs> this is great. How does that even happen? Anyway. Episode 64 is dedicated to the Little Moon Diner, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I ate breakfast there this morning. The wife's uh, dad came into town, stayed with us last night, and he said, hey, I want to take you guys out to breakfast. So this morning, we go out to the Little Moon Diner, and I had a chicken fried steak that was the size of my head, and it was glorious. So it's it's the old JD's Diner down there. So this dedication and this shout-out is 100% for locals. If you're listening in Brazil or... Ukraine or something. Cause we, we got some listeners in Ukraine, dude. What? That might be hackers. I don't know, like bots or something. But anyway, if, if you live in Tri-Cities, get your hiney over to West Richland, right there on Van Giesen, uh, uh, right off of the bridge as you're coming uh, out of Richland. Then it'll be on your right, and you're going to go to the Little Moon Diner. And it's just like the, the best local restaurant ever. Now, it was tied for first with Henry's, but then Henry's shut down. Moment of silence. <laughs> And that's over. So yeah. Little Moon is now the reigning champ. Yeah. Go there. The guy's uh, the, the guy that runs it, his name is Jamie, and he's the man, super cool guy, family-run business, and they got great food. So we want to support these guys, man. Yep. They actually, there were a lot of uh, restaurants that got, you know, they got coroned. Yep. Or Inslied, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I um, like the other term, Inslied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't make it. And so this was a family-run business, and they didn't make it through that whole thing. And then the son, like, bought it all up and then came in and restarted the deal. And okay. he's, he's taking to places, man. It's great right. stuff. So thank you to Jamie down there for feeding me and my family so well yep. this morning. And I'm trying to send you as much business as I can, homie. Let's get some wisdom. That one worked. What? Actually, <laughs> I don't even have a Devo today. No, you don't. No, I specifically didn't because I wanted to get down to business on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's what we are going to do, though. Um, We're going to take the first couple of episodes of season four, which we are now in, by the way. We're in season four, which is cool. Hey, Um, welcome to season four. Yeah, I know. It feels the same as seasons one through three, man. Yeah. This is the comfort zone. I dig this. Yeah. I've I've really grown to like this. This is a lot of fun. This is really fun. It was it was a like a a ministry of it was a discipleship a discipleship ministry which hopefully it still is and now it's also like okay not it's not like we got to crank out an episode to make disciples on their way to work which is what it was and it was fun but now it's like we get to go hit the studio yeah this is gonna be fun anyway yeah it's less of a terror than it was for me at the beginning was it intimidating oh man you never showed it I know but I just. That's probably because when, when we started, you were brand new here. Like, you got here, and I'm like, get behind a microphone, sucker, we're recording. <laughs> Everything was new to you then. Well, that and, you know, I just, 
I didn't know if I was the, if I was like the, the the straight man or if I was the foil. Oh, and uh, but I but I think it's interesting that you and I kind of just flip back and forth on that. You know, I really yeah. do appreciate that. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> one of us is the bowling lane. One of us is the bumpers. Or <laughs> as we as we said yesterday, sometimes you're the statue. Sometimes you're the pigeon. Oh, <laughs> anyway. yeah. Um, Hashtag not a sponsor. No, (laughs) exactly. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the first four episodes of season four, and we're just going to lay out the basic Christian doctrine on four issues for for specific things that are oftentimes misunderstood in Christianity. And the reason we want to do this is for people who are getting an introduction to Christianity. So those of you that are followers of Christ, and maybe you have been for a long time or whatever, this won't be new to you, but it's the kind of thing where, like Paul says in Philippians 1, he's like, it's no trouble for me to remind you of the basics. I think that's chapter 1. He says, it's no trouble for me to remind you of the basics. We're going to go over this again. But also, maybe you guys can uh, can like just have this on file and like share it with somebody that is kind of like, trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. They're evaluating their worldview. They're making decisions about, you know, what they're going to do in life and, and what they believe about what happens when you die and all of this. So anyway, we're just going to, in, in a real informal manner, like we do, because we're not big on things like, you know, planning. Uh, so we're just going to talk about four basic issues and what Christians believe about God, about man, about Christ, and about our the, the proper response to all of these things. So, um, Today, we're just going to talk about who is God. That's about it, right? Pretty simple stuff. <laughs> like, oh, that's all. Just who is God? No biggie. Um, but we're going to hit it as, in as, as simple a format as possible. Let us start, though, with one of the most glorious uh, explanations, expositions of adoration of this God. Now, for those of you who are not Christians yet, this is in some old school language. Um, this is a prayer from the Valley of Vision. So this is about uh, five, six, about 400 years old. Um, 1600s, right? About 400 years old. And so some of the best Christian literature is in kind of that old archaic language. But listen to this, man, because not only is it beautiful, but the content of it is is all, you know, true and reliable stuff. So this is how we as Christians interact with God sometimes. So a prayer from the Valley of Vision, the bearded beaver, Pastor Ben. All right. So this comes from Valley of Vision. It's uh, the title of the prayer is called God Enjoyed. Thou incompre- incomprehensible... But prayer hearing God, known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed. My wants and welfare draw me to thee, for thou hast never said, Seek ye me in vain. To thee I come in my difficulties, necessities, distress, possesses within, possess me within thyself. With a spirit of grace and supplication, with a prayerful attitude of mind, with access into warmth of fellowship, so that in the ordinary concerns of life, my thoughts and desires may rise to thee, and in habitual devotion, I may find a resource that will soothe my sorrows, sanctify my successes, and qualify me in all ways for dealings with my fellow men. I bless thee that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, of resembling thee, the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying thee, the source of all happiness. O God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, defense, comfort. I found at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience with more perceptible to those 
around. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him here on earth. While he pleads my case, may I show forth his praise. Continue the gentleness of thy goodness towards me, and whether I wake or sleep, let thy presence go with me. Thy blessing attend me. Thou hast led me on, and I have found thy promises true. I've been sorrowful, but thou hast been my help. Fearful, but thou hast delivered me. Despairing, but thou hast lifted me up. Thy vows are ever upon me, and I praise thee, O God. Amen, man. Yeah, baby. There's love that. There's a lot there. Ah. So, good old Valley of Vision. Yeah, you got to be careful because the cults a lot of times will add another book onto the Bible, and so yeah. you don't want to do that. But Legit. then there are these other books where it's like, okay, get your Bible and, and focus there. But if you yeah. can always have one of these close at hand, like yeah. Valley of Vision, a good hymnal, yep. maybe a, a good um, verse by verse commentary through yeah. the Bible to help you mm-hmm. interpret some stuff. Like there, there's a, a small library. That, ooh, oh, okay. Here's what we're gonna do. All right, yeah. we're gonna do on, on one of these episodes here really soon when we're done with the, the God Man Christ Response thing. Oh yeah, we're gonna do our Mount Rushmore of secondary theological resources. <laughs> <laughs> Break out your pencils and pens for that one. We're only folks. allowed to pick four. Is, is that how many presidents are on Mount Rushmore? Oh snap! I think it's four. I don't care. Okay, so boy, that's mm. yeah. The question for today yes. is. Who is God? What do Christians believe about who is God? Now, obviously, we could spread out throughout the entire Bible and just, mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could flip it open to a random page, throw a dart, and you're going to probably see something that gives us some information about who is God. So there are literally thousands of verses that, that give information about this, cast various light on this, that, that yeah. form our answer to this. So how about this? How about we'll just pick a couple of... Um, big rocks. These are the things like, you know, when you're trying to yep. fill up a container and you got a bunch of rocks and you put the big rocks in first, the little rocks can fit around it. Yep. Right. But if you put the little rocks in first, the big ones don't fit. Yep. So what are the big rocks that we can hit today about who God is? I'm going to go ahead and say, we're, we're going to talk about what it means that he is holy because yeah. that, um, that, that comes across as like really spiritual language is kind of disconnected from life, right? Yeah. Like that's something that only the spiritual people say. Yeah. But it's kind of this foundational thing that actually makes a lot of sense when we define our term. Exactly. So I'll talk about, you know, God is holy. What does that mean? Yeah. And then, you know, we'll bring in, what are, what other big rocks do we need to cover here? Well, I think, I think the, the, his, his, um, his, not only his position, but his, but he's a creator. Creator, right. so, yeah. That's so, how the Bible starts. Yep, right? that's yep. how the Bible starts. But I, I like the idea of, def, of of bringing out His holiness because then, you know, we have so many different terms of what, how do we really understand holy? Yeah. And I think that that's really helpful. And then, and then, yeah, speaking about Him as creator, what does that mean? You yep. know, if He if He created everything, what does that mean? Yeah, that goes out yeah. a lot of different directions and winds yeah. up being the foundation for a lot of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, okay. So when we talk about holiness, when we say God is holy, what that, what that is not is is us just kind of shutting off our brain and saying, and here's this description that only applies to God, and I don't care what it means. I'm just going to lob it against the ethos, and it's going to stick, and we'll call that praise. It's it's not like that. It's it's not a junk drawer for whatever we happen to be thinking about the transcendence of God. Holiness actually means something, and the word holy, what it means is set apart for the purposes of God. Um, you could describe that another way in a different context as um, completely other than anything else. And so you could use the word like incomparable. It cannot be compared to something else. But incomparable could apply to a lot of things, right? Ben's beard is 
incomparable. I, well, not as much. I mean, you kind of trimmed it, but I they did. can't see that. So I was trying to sneak that one in. No, I appreciate. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. It still looks good, though. By well, the way, thank you. What's, what's left <laughs> is <laughs> is bringing <laughs> is getting the job done. So. Um, you know, a lot of things are incomparable, but you can't say that things are, are holy because only God actually is. Now, when we say that, that we desire holiness or holy living or whatever, then that, that doesn't mean that we become gods. That means that we become like God in, in certain ways. So we can get into that whole thing in the, in the who is man question. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean uh, don't smoke, drink, or chew or go with girls that <laughs> do, right? It, it, means, it means like... Like, um, you know, set apart for the purposes of God. Exactly. So when we say God is holy, we're, we're saying a couple of things. We're, we're saying, first off, that there is no analogy for him. There's nothing in the world that you can look at and say, yeah, God is kind of like that. Because even when there's shades of that, there's there's like reminders in nature of one of his attributes or something. Yeah. None of it really captures the totality of who he is. And if you um, if you guys have, have ever been made familiar with the Ten Commandments, the second one is, look, don't make any statues of God. There are no, like no graven images is the way that it, that it calls it, right? Yep. You're not allowed to have a golden calf. You're not allowed to have a statue of a bird or a man or whatever. And, and then say, okay, this is what God is like because God's like, no, it ain't. I, I do not fit in your puny little categories. And that's okay. Yeah. Like we want a God who transcends our categories. The, you know, the old, the old saying from um, the, the terrible theologian Dustin Myers is that if, if your God fits between your ears, <laughs> he's too small, right? <laughs> yep. So we, we want a God that doesn't fit between our ears. But, um, but at the same time, it, while it's a good thing that we can't understand him, it's a bad thing when we try and cram him into categories that we can understand because that inevitably has the effect of bringing God down. So yeah. holiness, he is, he is incomparable. He is something, if I could use that term, he is something that nothing else is agreed right yeah yeah i was thinking like isaiah chapter 40 verse 18 right to whom then will you liken god or what mm-hmm. likeness will you compare him and then you know isaiah is going through the whole idol thing right you know yep. and then i was also thinking of isaiah um fancy that by the way you want to you want to like get a serious notion of god's holiness book of isaiah isaiah yeah it's pretty it's 66 chapters of holiness across your face <laughs> Ooh, boy yeah. but then he's but in in 55 uh, we say we see God saying, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts." That's the God that doesn't fit between your ears. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Yeah, I I, I even like and 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 sorry if I'm stealing this from you, but but Take it. Uh, the idea that in in R.C. Sproul when he wrote his book, The Holiness of God, which by the way awesome book that might be on mount rushmore yeah, we'll, we'll have to close. attend to that yeah yeah and it, it just in the idea of that god is so divinely other he def, he he defies anything we try to describe him with mm-hmm. it's he's so much bigger and and that is you know you you get a sense of the way that we would tremble is not necessarily in in terror fear like we're we're terrified of of uh you know like you know think of like a horror flick or something like that but but we're but we're trembling because of the awe and majesty and just complete otherness of him. Now, if we are opposed to this God, we should be trembling in fear. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But like when Ecclesiastes 12 says, look, here's the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. Yes. Right? That, that fear of God that you're talking about yeah. there is not is not a um, a fear for your own well-being. That may yeah. result if you're opposed to him. Yeah. But it's, it's a fear of when you get a glimpse of what you're up against yeah. and you realize that, you're not as big as you thought you were. I think the closest thing I've ever felt to that is those times when I'm positive that I'm going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. Like you ever been on a plane that you're sure is going down? 
Yes. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there is no solution. Like you don't know. Nope. You're going where that plane takes you. Right. Yeah. And when, you know, because you just don't have the power to, to change anything. And when you get a glimpse of who God actually is, then it's like, you, you kind of get that same sort of deal. Like yep. I am completely at the mercy yeah. of whatever this, this being decides. And that's, yeah. that's a trembling type of thing. Yeah. Now you can tremble with love. You can tremble with respect and with awe, or if you're one of his enemies, you can tremble with what we yeah. would think of as actual fear. But yeah. that whole idea of just the, of, of taking in the gravity yep. of who you're interacting with, yeah. that's what it's talking about when it says fear God, which yeah. by the way, the word for, um, for glory, right? So we, we talk about God being oh, glorious and yeah. stuff. The Hebrew word for that is kavod, which, which has a, um, a sense of, it's also the word for weightiness. Yep. And so it's not, it doesn't mean that God is heavy or has, you know, physical mass that we're writing a commentary on. It yeah. means that just the idea of who God is and the subject of God and the person of God is, is weighty. This has, yeah. this, this, I, it has gravity to it and we should yeah. approach it with reverence. Yeah. And I think this is interesting because we often, especially in our contemporary culture, we don't have that kind of weight that we ascribe to God. Usually he's my best bud or he's the, the big man in the sky, the bobblehead doll yeah, on your so, dashboard. Um, you know, and, and even as we talk about this, this, this series, you know, a lot of this comes, some of this has been influenced at least as I, as I've been working through it, uh, by a book by the, uh, by the name of what is the gospel by Greg Gilbert. Shout he's, out. Yes. That is something, you know, if you ever come to grace and truth and you want to hear the gospel and we take you through a study, you might actually get that book, but, um, it's not, it's not, um, the the one thing I find interesting is that he describes he's not he's not the guy that's just sitting in he's not the grandpa sitting in a chair yeah right there there is a there certainly is a kindness and a mercy to him but you know even even as we as we sing songs or as we look at his word do we bring that sense of awe and trembling right like Isaiah sixty six he's the one I look to the one who trembles at my trembles, word yeah right? he's broken and contrite in heart yeah. and trembles at my word yeah. or who's who's who has that vision again I'm all over Isaiah but you have Isaiah six right when the prophet Isaiah actually goes and he sees he sees this vision of the Lord then what's his what's his first response what was me for, I am I'm undone a, I'm a dead man yeah right? and he says and he he goes specifically there to the comparison between him and God. He says, yeah. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Yeah. And my eyes, I'm undone for I have seen, my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Amen. And so it's like, it, it, the, the interaction between sinful man and holy God yeah. should, and we'll get more into this in the response one, but that should drive us to a comparison. The, the best definition that I think I've heard of worship is an honest comparison between God and me. Yep. Right. And that's, that's essentially what's going on there. And so, the, so who, who is God? Well, you got to, um, I don't know if you, you got to deal with this first, but we're, we're dragging you here first that, you know, this issue of the holiness of God, he's just not like us. Now, yeah. what are the ways in which he's not like us? All right, well, you go down, you crack your Bible open, and you see the ways in which he's not like us, and he winds mm-hmm. up looking higher and higher and higher. We wind oh, up looking yeah. lower and lower, and not in the sense of self-hatred, but just in the sense of, like, appropriate <laughs> humility, right? Yes, like absolutely. Okay, so I'm in, in Exodus 34, uh, and in verse 5, it says Yahweh, so that's his personal name in the Bible. Um, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him, with Moses there, and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And here's what he said. Now, a lot of times, you know, translations will say the Lord, the Lord, but I'm just going to read the personal name there. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children 
and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So we've got this idea of God that generally modern culture would be comfortable with the first half of that and not comfortable with the second half. Yep. Okay. So he, he's, he's abounding in love and he's slow to anger and that's all great. And he forgives sins and that's all great. And then it says, but he will by no means clear the guilty. And so this is where it gets a little bit confusing. You can see that this doesn't exactly fit within our, our normal categories of stuff. How does he forgive sin? And yet by no means clear the guilty. That's a strong statement. Yeah. So he will always punish guilt and yet he will forgive guilt. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this guy? Yeah. And so then the, the rest of Exodus unfolds and then the rest of the Bible unfolds. And it's kind of the, I don't, I don't think it would be too much of a summary to say the rest of the Bible is an answer to that question. How can he, how can he punish all sin all the time consistently and be perfectly just and righteous yeah. and yet show forgiveness for people so that we're not cast away into a burning lake of fire like we deserve for our sins. And that's the answer to that is what we call the gospel. It's the good yep. news that sinners can actually be saved. Yeah without God being a weak-kneed pansy that just can't stand up to somebody. Yeah, and it's interesting because you think about other areas where where God ha, you know, just describes himself as holy, as divinely separate. You, know, you, think, of, you think of Job, right? Mm-hmm. Most, of, most, most Christians, as they've either read Job or something like that, they say, okay, Job's suffering, and he's showing this great, um, and, and, he, and, he, and he never denies God, and that's, and that's all true. And then you get to this spot where he starts to say, I want, I want my case mm-hmm. before the judge. You know, and 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 where can where can where can someone stand for me? And, and he hints at it early in the yeah. book. He's got this place, and I know where you're going with this. So let me just jump in here yeah. real quick before you finish that. Yeah. In in chapter nine, which Job is like what forty two chapters long, so it's pretty yeah. it's pretty long. But it early early there in chapter nine, he jumps in and he says, I wish that there was a mediator between man and God who could lay his hand on both of us. Right. He says, but I don't have that guy. There's nobody who can lay a hand on God and a hand on man and connect us and let us communicate. Where can I find this guy? Yeah. And then you would think at the end of the book, God would come alongside Job and say, Hey, Hey buddy, let me give you a kiss on the head. Exactly. He's the, yeah, going to be okay. And, and, and yet God goes, Hey, hold on a second here, dude. Let's, let's talk about who I am. How, how, who am I? What, how much other am I? And who then do you think you're talking to? And he goes, I mean, he goes for two chapters and says, uh, do you know? Did you know? Did you tell me this? Please tell mm-hmm. me. Right. And then Job says, okay, I got it. I lay my hand over my mouth. And God goes, I'm not done yet. Let's keep going. And yeah. then for two more chapters, he just could, he just goes and goes. And you would think, wow, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. Re- read some samples you know, of what, what he's saying. Well, like, when, when you say he goes and goes, like this, this stuff well, is amazing. Yeah, do you know when the mountains give birth or mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Do you see everything, Job? Really? Um, wait, you know, have you entered the storehouses of snow? Ever or have been, you ever seen been the, in the clouds? Yeah, ever been in the clouds? Have you, have you seen the storehouses of hail? Which, which I have reserved, oh, wow, sovereignty there, which I have reserved for time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. What is the way to the place where light is distributed and, or where the east wind is cast upon the earth? Hey, guy, I know where photons go. Yeah, he's, he's talking, <laughs> he, he's, he's talking about, he's answering questions that Job doesn't even have the wisdom to ask. Yeah. Like, who talks like this? Have you been to the place from where light is distributed? Nobody talks yeah. like that. And yet God's like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna open up the categories for you just so you can realize, like you said, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yep. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna do and then and obviously the story ends a little bit better for Job and things like that. Yeah. But but it, it look, even Job needed to have a a little bit of a whooping. Well, and I think you know? what we learned from that is God is not obligated to give us what we think we need. Exactly. Right. You, Which you again th- goes to the category. Right. 
you know, we, we, we are not on his level. We can't, we can't judge him. We can't, we submit to him. And that's oftentimes, especially when we get into those discussions about God, it's, it's, well, I really don't think I could believe a God that does X. It's like, really? Yeah. Um, well, and, and that's yeah. the thing is like, God didn't ask. Exactly. You know? and, and that's, that's part of holiness is that he's, he's really not like, he, he's, he's not running for office. He's not running for God. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when, when we say I, I don't want to serve a God that X, Y, and Z. That's not yeah. the question. The, the question is, what's he actually like? Right? Yeah. In fact, you know who nailed this really well? Is, is I can't believe I'm about to say this. Is Richard Dawkins. Because when he, you know, he rails against God constantly as this mean and misogynistic and, mm-hmm. and you know, um, uh, not patricidal, but, uh, you know, kills his own son, acidal, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, is this, um, this horrible being, this immoral being. And yet, he's got this really good point where he says, I realize what I'm saying is distasteful to some of you, but it doesn't matter if you like it. It only matters if it's true. And on that point, I agree with him, right? Yeah. So what we think about God, it doesn't matter if, if his characteristics meet with our approval. Yeah. It only matters what he's actually yeah. like. And so what's he actually like? Well, there's a gravitas to how he handles situations yeah. that is not going, like we can get all the answers we want from God and some of them we're not going to like. And the fact that he's God means that, if that's what he decides, that's the way it's going to be. Right? Yep. That's that's who he is. Okay, so now, who is God? He's holy. Okay. Now, there's also this issue of um, being... Well, before I get into the issue of being eternal, let's, um, let's talk about... Let's go a little more into detail about how can a God who is um, perfectly just also be merciful. And we probably won't get too much into this right now because... We're going to do four episodes on this God-Man-Christ response. And in the Christ episode, we'll get a lot more into the details of the mechanics of how this worked. Spoilers. <laughs> right, yeah. Jesus. The answer is Jesus. But, um, you know, but there, is, there is that question of, like, is that contradictory? You know, I, I always punish sin, yet I forgive sin. And so God is, um, I'm, I'm going to use a term that's, this is going to be the understatement of the century, okay? God is creative, and what he does is he puts plans in place and he executes on those plans. He announces them beforehand by prophecy and, and things like that. And then he follows through on them and he executes in them and he fulfills these prophecies. And we can see these in the Bible and in history and all of this. And he puts in plans where he gets things done that maintain all of his characteristics. Amen. And so he maintains his own holiness. You could say that he, he protects his holiness, not in the sense of being defensive about it, but just in the sense of like, like um, everything. The old theologians used to talk about the simplicity of God, not meaning that there's there's not much to him just meaning that there's no there's no contradictory warring elements within his character everything that god is he is at all times and so he is always full of mercy he is always full of justice he is are you looking for 326 yeah hit it right there so this is where um you know god says this paul says it was to show his righteousness god showing his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Right, so the way he went about things with sending Jesus is that he he maintained his justice and he made us just with him. So he went about the work of forgiveness by actually making us just or righteous or in right legal standing. And so that's that's kind of how he went about things and he did all of this without changing or violating or suppressing any of his attributes at all. Yeah. So or any of his, uh, I think I like the word characteristics better yeah. than attributes, but um, 
Yeah, so that's that's the holiness of God. And and we see things in there that are a big fat mystery. They come across to us as a paradox. If we were to be cynical about it, they would come across as contradictions. But when you look at them, you you put these things together, you say, how can both of these or how can all of these characteristics be in one being? And the Bible just keeps on answering that for us. So yeah, yeah. And the answer is Jesus. So uh okay, yeah. So he he is holy. All right. Now I want to touch on this issue of being eternal because this is something that Christians really, really focus on. And, and scientifically, there's, there's some friction here because science works, and, and scientists agree with what I'm about to say. We've got a lot of scientists in our church. We all agree on this, right? And the, the atheist scientists agree with this also. Science deals with what is in the box. It, it deals with what is in the, the physical box. Our claim is that God is outside of that box and actually that he created the box. Yep. And he, he designed it, he executed on his design, and he created and all of that. So... We will refer to him in philosophical terms sometimes as the uncaused cause or the first cause. And so we, we use these, these weird um, words, to, we, these weird word combinations that seem to not make any sense um, until you put a little bit of thought into them, such as he had no beginning. Yep. How does something exist that didn't come into existence? Well, that's a mind bender, right? But this idea of eternity past is one that we get from the Bible. And it, it, what it does is it takes us outside the box because when you talk about, okay, we've got a timeline. Well, there was a first point on the timeline. Wherever that started, some guys are going to talk about the Big Bang. Some guys are going to talk about whatever. But there was a first point on the timeline, and we're talking about before that. So there, there was no time by which to measure. The only standard was God himself, not time. So how did... How, how does a sequence of events happen before there's time? I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to address these things. But the Christian claim is that God was before all of that. He predates all, and he is the uncaused cause. Yep. All right. So the Bible actually starts out with this. This is the, the foundational claim of all theology or of all God talk is, is the beginning of the Bible. Why don't, I'll tell you what. Why don't you hit Genesis there and explain what that's saying, and then I'll take him to John 1 and go there with it. Cool. So we have in Genesis the very beginning, it says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So at the very beginning, God was already there, and he was doing things. He was creating, and he, he created the heavens and the earth. What do you think he was doing before he created? Uh, you know what? I I would be I would be terrified to speculate, um, <laughs> except for except for maybe where you know like in, in like Ephesians one right before the foundations of the wor- of the world he hatched his plan he, he has planning. his plan yeah. he's had he has his plan he knew what was going on I mean no, not, but I mean like he got Father Son Holy Spirit right okay and again if that if we understand all of the things about the Trinity because God is triune right, right? we'll hit that in John yeah, one that you've got him he was enjoying his son. And mm-hmm. the spirit, they were, you know, so there was community. So, yeah, there was community there, and it was a love-filled community there. Infinitely relational yep. is our God, and and not needing anything else. Yeah. So here's my question. Yeah. Do you think they would like play catch? <laughs> Guys, just toss some beetle. No, no, there wouldn't be stars at that point. No, yeah, yeah that's true because he didn't. He would have had to create a baseball mitt. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I don't know. That's crazy. Because yeah. you know, I'm a dad. I love playing catch with my boys. Yeah. Right. Where did that come from? Well, we're made in the image of God. That comes from. There's something. Yeah. There's something primary about that. Yeah. And there's. So here, here's the can of worms that I'm opening. Is this? God does not need his creation. No. Right. And this is part of holiness. And so, like, I was talking to um, a guy. He's the the. Uh, 
one of the imams at the mosque down the road there. And I was like, what, what was Allah doing before he created? Because there's no Trinity. There's no, there's no Allah, the son, right? He, that's a blasphemous idea to them. Yeah. And he was like, nothing. He was alone. And I'm like, okay, so could he relate to anybody before he created somebody to relate to? And he said, no. And I said, okay, so your God is dependent upon his creation to do something. And that's one of the differences. So yep. with the God of the Bible, he is not dependent. The creator is not dependent on his creation for anything. Mm-hmm. There, there is no thing that he can do now that he couldn't do before. Yep. Yeah. So in the beginning, God created. Yep. All right. What are the implications of that? So God's a creator, but I, I wasn't there, right? I'm yeah. here now in 2023. So who cares, right? What's that do to me? Well, I think one of the things is 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 very basic. Even and we can look at this even on a human level. When we make something, we get we get to designate what is done with it. You know, so if I if I if I create a painting, I get to designate the colors. I get to name the painting. I get to sign the bottom of it. That is my work, not anybody else's. And 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 the sense of injustice that we would have if something if somebody were to take that or to take credit for it or anything like that. No, that's that's we. There's a natural sense there that goes all the way back to God has creator rights. He gets to say what happens in His creation. He gets to set the rules. He gets to he get, you know that those are those are fundamental parts of of Him being the creator. Mm-hmm. He gets to say. He, he's the he's the divine who says. Yeah, I've I've told people before. There's three ways you can own something. You can create it, you can find it, or you can buy it. And God did all three of those with us. So He's got triple ownership over us, right? He created <laughs> yeah. us, so He owns us. He came and yeah. found us because Jesus came to seek and to save that yeah. which was lost in Luke nineteen ten, and He purchased us with His own blood in That's Acts legit. twenty twenty eight. So oh, yeah. yeah, he he's got uh, he's got thrice yeah holy ownership yeah. yeah and that and that extends to all creation which the, the itchy part to this and we probably get a little bit more into this in in as we talk about man that next episode is that we're a created being mm. we are not autonomous on our own yeah, yeah. And, and so we so there's accountability among all of the created beings and so oftentimes we want to make our story about us that's not where the Bible goes. The Bible's no, this is God's story about what he's doing. And yeah, mankind is a big piece of it. He, he's, he's put a yeah. lot of eggs in the mankind basket. Absolutely. But. but we are created to image God, not to be our own gods. And that's one of the principal problems, which we'll get into yep. in uh, next week. Creation serves a creator, right? So you read the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created, all right? The heavens and the earth, which... That's like saying bumper to bumper warranty. It's everything. The heavens, the earth, and <laughs> everything that. in between, yep. right? Okay, exactly. so now in the New Testament, you get the Apostle John, and he starts his book this way, the, the Gospel of John. It says this, in the beginning, okay, now does this sound familiar, right? So this is a direct <laughs> callback to the beginning of the Bible. He's talking about that same moment, and he's saying, now I'm going to hit the same story from a different angle. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all right? Now, if we just pause there, it's like, okay, he's getting kind of philosophical or metaphysical about, you know, God's word being the, the, the going forth of God. So when God said, let there be light, then God went out and created light, and we'll call that the word. Maybe it's just a poetic way of rendering something. But then it gets, it gets weird in verse 2. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So the word is a he, the word is a person. And then he goes on from there. You know, all things were made through him, so this word who is God was the agent of creation and without him nothing was made that has been made so now he's before all things he's not created he is creator and he is God and yet he's with God so now we've got one God but multiple 
persons being referred to as God. Well, this gets a little bit confusing and non-mathematical. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And then we go down to verse 14. This is the verse we named our church after. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so now this God who was with God has become a person and lived among people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, that's why we named our church Grace and Truth, by the way. Uh, It says it again in verse 17, but we were really referencing verse 14. So, this... But I I do like verse 17 and 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so let's let's look at 18, because that one's interesting. Exactly. No one has seen God at any time. The only God who is at the Father's side... He has made him known. He has explained him to us. The, the word there is exegeted, exegiomai. It means to, to draw out, to expose and draw out what is there, yeah. right? So here we've got this description, and obviously he's talking about who here? Jesus. So we've got this description of, of a, a God who is with the one true God, and this God who is with God is the creator God, and he comes to be man, so he's God-man, and he operates within the timeline, even though he's by nature holy and transcendent above the timeline and all of creation. And then it says that no one has seen God. Yeah. What in the world? Like, we just saw the guy that you said was God. And so now clearly John is bringing us to this, this dichotomy where there's two persons that we can refer to as God. And now yeah. I'm talking about this one, and now I'm talking about that one. But when I say God, you got to look at the context because I could be referring to either one. And they're not separate. They are yeah. with each other. They're united, but they're also literally just one. So how do you have two and one? Well, then he goes on, and you get to chapter 14, 15, and 16 of the same book, and he talks about the Holy Spirit. And yep. now it's it's the same type of deal where he is the Spirit of God, and he is the Spirit of Christ, and he's from God, and he's from Jesus. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says, I will send him to you. I will be with you. Even when I'm not here, I will be here. Why? Because the Spirit of God will be here. So now you wind up building this picture of this God who is three persons and they're known as father, son, Holy spirit, you know, and and, you know, son is also known as Jesus and and also known as Christ. So there's these various titles, but you've got one God and three persons and the Bible never really encapsulates it in that few words. But when you stand back and look at the picture of this Holy God that is built, it winds up being a, we we had to actually invent a word for it. And the word is triune or Trinity. It's a tri unity. It's three and and one is this picture. So we have a triune God who is three persons within himself. Yep. I mean, you know, Kablooey goes to Cabeza, right? But but that's, that's just the way it is. Just the way it is. So, um, let's review then on why it matters that, that God is the creator. And then we'll get more specific and say, why does it matter that Jesus yeah. is that he has creator rights according yeah. to John one and Colossians one and Hebrews one, which I didn't read, yep. but Jesus has creator rights as well. So make that make sense to us why that's important. Well, I mean, creator rights designates authority, right? You have the authority. So in other words, he has the authority to say what goes. And we see, we see him revealing some of that. Like he makes he, within the first couple chapters of the, of, within the first two chapters of the Bible, he makes a command. And he says, "Don't you can do all of this. By the way, when God gives commands, it's not always negative. You think God's like shaking his finger going, no, 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 no. He's saying, no, no, I want you to do certain things. He says, no, be fruitful, multiply, right? There's a mandate there. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Love that command. Run with that uh, one. Exactly. Exactly. You know, have fun, kids. Go, right? Yeah. You know, and then and you have and enjoy everything that I have made. You may eat from the tree, fruit from any tree 
except one. He himself gets to set limits and boundaries. That's where he gets to it. Yep. And he not only does that for us, we even see we even see that in Job. He says, I set boundaries for waters. I set boundaries for, you know, I designate even boundaries for time. I designate boundaries for calamity, you know, and, and in, in all of that. So he has authority over what he has made. And that and that that extends not just to humans, that extends to all of what we call creation. The very word that we use there means it was created by someone, which means they get to set boundaries, they get to designate what is going on. And a lot of our, as we get into next week, a lot of our warring of that is because we are trying to reverse particular roles. But mm-hmm. that that I think that's where I would say is that he has, and by nature of John one, also as we read Christ himself would have that very authority. Yep. Yeah, yeah. so absolute submission Agreed. is not only proper but reasonable. Yeah. Right? Okay, so look, maybe we could we could just pause a beat on this and, and wrap up here because this is one of the most common questions that I get from people who are considering Christianity yeah. is is God full of himself? Is he an ego freak? Yeah. Right? Because the and honestly, that's one of the the main accusations of it's one of the main accusations of the cheap internet argumentation of yeah. the people that are just grumpy because they they didn't like their Catholic school upbringing mm-hmm. or something, and so they're just raging against stuff. They're like, what kind of God always needs a compliment and worship? But honestly, if you get past the the childlike tantrum that is usually the packaging for that objection, there's a good question in there. And the question is, how come being egotistical is a vice for us, but suddenly it's a virtue for God? How does that work, right? Is Is he... Is he an egomaniac? Yeah. And the answer to this one's pretty simple. Um, I mean, I don't know if, yeah, it, it's it's simple, but it branches out a lot of directions. The answer is basically like, look, God is not delusional, right? And, and he has a better grasp on reality than anybody else. And if he actually is the supreme being of all creation, and he actually did create everything in order to flow from his own nature and creation, and it is a good thing for creation, and it's healthy for creation, to acknowledge its creator. If that's really true, then the nicest thing he could do is reveal himself and say, worship me, right? Because that would be inviting us to live according to our purpose. And so when God says, worship me, it's not because he's an ego freak. It's because he deserves to be worshiped and he created everything in such a way that his creation would, would relate rightly to him. So it's, it's really an invitation to be, um, metaphysically sane rather than to operate in spiritual insanity, which is what most of us do, which again, pushes us out to next week. But yeah, no, God is not an egomaniac. God is God has a firm grasp on reality. And what he knows that we don't know is that he is the supreme being of of all. And when we when we do worship him, we act in accordance with what is true and what is real. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that's you know it's squaring squaring with reality is not egotism. You know, right. it's and 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 I I remember um I think this is uh from uh, Pastor John Piper, he would say if God were to to say that there was something better for better than him, he would be a liar. So for for him to acknowledge something as greater, well, I'm sorry, there's nothing greater than me. Great which point, is exactly yeah. why we get back to Isaiah 40. To whom will you compare me? I'm sorry, yeah. there's just nothing else to compare someone with. I mean, yeah. you can't compare anything else to God. So it's not necessarily egotism. It's no, this is the reality. It's logic. It. Yeah. yeah, and and so to 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 you know it, it, we we don't like it when basketball players or other people who have super huge egos you say I'm the greatest when you're like, I mean you're you're a good basketball player. Yeah, but that ain't you know. Let's get your head out of the clouds for a second. Exactly. Like you, you right. are you are the best in the world yeah. at putting a ball in a hoop. Yeah, and you still have to put on your pants 
one a, a particular way, right? You know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real straight with you about that. Yeah. Right. And this is information about the pastor that the church probably does not want to know. Oh no. I actually instituted a hack to that because I got tired of it. Did you really? I did. Yeah. So I figured out a way without it being all weird and looking like a Steve Martin movie to put on my, my pants two legs at a time. That's what really? I do. Yeah, because I, I got, when I was like in my 20s, I had, I had a boss at work who always said that. It was like, you know, look, I put my pants on one leg at a time just like you. And then I started not to like this guy. And I was like, I just don't want to be like him in that way. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not putting my <laughs> pants on one leg at a time. So I don't. And I'm not getting, I know we got, we got female listeners. And so I'm not getting too much into it. Right. But it's, yeah. I, I can no longer be accused of putting my pants on one leg at a time. I just said no. Okay, but, so you, still, you, know. you, but you still have to put both legs through the holes. Define have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get too much more Challenge into detail on this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Tomorrow is Wednesday, and I'm coming into the office. I really... I'm just going to blow your brain box how I'm going to dress tomorrow. All right. So, I am so afraid. You should be. You should be. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing we don't video this because maybe, <laughs> maybe we should video some of these and I'll, uh, uh, we'll record a couple more episodes tomorrow and just That's... defy human categories, uh, defy human characteristics. Oh my gosh. No, but we're not going to do that because only God gets to do that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And when we dress weird, we look like freaks. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. All right, guys. So, um, we're going to, we're going to come back with, uh, with the, the Christian belief of, man who is man who are we like what what is what does it even mean to be human and it may sound like we're going to be playing way outside of the sandbox in terms of our intellectual ability to answer these questions that philosophers have been wrestling with for thousands of years but thankfully we've got revelation from god to actually spoon feed us these answers so it's not all easy to understand but it is all right there for us and so we'll get into it we'll see what god says about it because i would submit to you that his answer is probably more valuable than whatever we can muster up amen amen jesus so so, so tune in next week deserves disciples (laughs) i actually hit the button Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.